Jimmy's Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Hey everybody, and today in episode 54, I've invited my Canadian friend, John Howie, onto the show. John and I are going to talk about our respective nations' responses to the coronavirus in America and Canada, and specifically what this means for our civil liberties and how we should respond to it collectively. John is a little bit more of a collectivist sort of individual coming from the great white north up in Canada. And, you know, me being from the south in America, I tend to, you know, put more of an accent on civil liberties. We have a fascinating discussion on how we try to, to find a balance between maintaining civil liberty versus just giving everything up to the collective. And we talk about what political ramifications ultimately will look like in light of our nation's responses to COVID-19 and what sort of threats this may make for the greater direction our countries respectively take, if any. I hope you really enjoy this conversation. And if you do, be sure to share it with a friend. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the jimmystable.com podcast. And if you would like to respond to this further, uh, you can respond by listening to the end of the show where John has some contact information. It's also in the show notes at jimmystable.com. Or you could email me at jimmy at jimmystable.com if you'd like to respond to me directly. Without further ado, here is John, Howie, and I in our conversation about civil liberties, collectivist mentalities, America and Canada in response to COVID-19. Take care, everybody, and enjoy. So uh, coronavirus, how is it impacting you guys in Canada? Because I feel like, you know, as Americans, you know, we're very much concerned with what's happening in America. Uh, and maybe yeah. we're a little concerned what's happening in China and Italy and Singapore because they seem to be kind of you know, kind of a big deal right now when it comes to coronavirus. And since how they're dealing with coronavirus could, you know, determine how we uh, deal with coronavirus, you know, we focus on that. But I would be kind of curious about what coronavirus is looking like in Canada, because, you know, Canada, especially where you live, uh, Calgary, Alberta area, you know, not too far from Washington state. Um, I don't know what state you guys share. Do you guys, what border state do you guys share border with? Montana. Montana. Okay. So, uh, so not quite Washington state, but, uh, you know, you're further out there on the West coast than, uh, you know, I, I am. <laughs> so you're kind of close to an epicenter. And then of course, you know, Toronto and stuff is up there by New York. Um, and you know, it's not too far of a skip. So understandably, you know, I understand why maybe, uh, they have gone ahead and shut the borders down, um, between our two countries. Um, but you know, in the meantime, I was like, well, why are we shutting borders down with Canada? It doesn't seem to, you know, be at such a scale in Canada or am I wrong? Well, we do have cases. Um, I mean, out of 30 million people right now, we have 1,959 cases. I'm just quoting this off the top of my head. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and uh, we've had 27 deaths. Hmm. So that's the total as of 11 a.m. Um, on March 25th. So that's about a 2% death rate, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I know like the big thing with this is that it's just so 
darn contagious. Like it's, it's insane how many people get reached if you do have it. Right. And we want to protect the vulnerable. And so that's basically what's going down. It does sound too, like, it's funny because there's a lot of people that say like, it's just a flu, but uh, people that have had it say it's not just a flu. Like it is terrible. Right. Yeah. I was seeing a picture today on Facebook with somebody's lung and what like imaging looked like on their lung after healing for the coronavirus. And that really messes them up. So even if it doesn't kill you, it's still going to make you kind of wish you had died. And you may have, you may suffer with lifelong uh, lung issues um, from there on out because of the extent of the damage it does to your lungs. See, I haven't heard that. And I suspected yeah. that because like anytime we talk about something where we're only talking about death rate and we're like, oh, it's only like 2% death rate. Right. And it's like, okay, but like they predict that like 70% of us will get it. I right. think it was like 70 and 80, between 7 and 80% of the population is going to end up with it at some point. Right. And it's, and, and so I was like, okay, but like, are there any other permanent effects of it? Because this is similar to when we talk about like guns and, you know, you say, well, the death rate with guns is only this much, but it's like, yeah, you know why it's only that much is because we figured out how to patch people up better. (laughs) So basically all these people, all these people who have been shot that are still alive, but I mean, like they don't count as a casualty. Right. (laughs) You know, and it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to get shot. Like, can you imagine? Like, but anyways. I, I, I would think that there are, you know, effects to this disease that are not just death. So right. that's interesting to hear that. Right. Because I've been curious about that. Yeah. And I it... mean, there's a reason why people like are, you know, we're talking about like our health system. Um, and we got politicians who are taking this very seriously. So for anybody to write it off as just the flu. I'm like, I is this just because like people are so hyped up that they decided to treat it more serious than it really is or are our you know health services actually telling the truth that there's something serious about this right yeah you know it's interesting because as somebody who's had me personally i've had bronchitis and pneumonia uh, mm-hmm. a time or two in my life and they they've told me that basically once you get bronchitis you're all the more susceptible to getting bronchitis again and again and again uh, throughout the course mm. of your life. Um, so, yeah. and you know, that, at least that's what they tell me. I'm not a medical expert, of course, but so, you know, if something as trivial as bronchitis, which is not something too many people die from, um, you know, I, can be something I, that kind of haunts you for the rest of your life, you know, how much more a disease like coronavirus, which, you know, from what I've seen does quite the number on your lungs and may diminish your oxygen capacity for the rest of your life. Like that's terrible. Yeah, and I've been watching, like, I was watching the developments on this, like, quite closely. Um, initially, I haven't been following it as closely in the last couple of days. <laughs> but um, so, so basically, what happened to me is, like, I actually have um, two, I had two weeks left on a contract mm-hmm. that I'm working. Um, and I work for a consulting company that does a whole bunch of work for a bunch of different companies um include like mostly stuff in the oil and gas but we can branch out into like manufacturing or anything like that because industrial hygiene is basically assessing the workplace for health hazards i mean i could even go into a bank and assess the indoor air quality so like i uh, we can touch on any industry right um 
And so, I mean, like we do have, usually diversity can be very helpful because oil and gas is quite unpredictable. There are times when oil and gas slows down. And what's really interesting is like this coronavirus, you know, event, I guess, the big event. I almost want to say it's like the day that the earth stood still, but it's really like the months that the world still we don't know how long it's going to be but right. it's 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 insanity like we've never seen anything like this and um anyways so prior to that happening there were um issues with pricing between Russia and the Middle East was it uh Saudi Arabia I think mm-hmm. and they were bringing down the price of gas and the province that I live in Alberta is an oil and gas province um and this province has been hit very hard. Um, there's been a lot of campaigns against our province saying that our oil sands are dirty oil and all this stuff, right? And so like environmentalists um, have been campaigning against you know, a big part of what's our bread and butter, which is the oil sands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so between that, like that slowed us down from getting pipelines out of our province, which has hurt our ability to grow the oil and gas sector. There's a lot of oil here and we're not able to expand. And I guess maybe it's just the way the economy works. You always need to expand, right? Right. And um, so so we've been struggling to begin with. And then this... Um, price war went on between Saudi Arabia and Russia. And it was around that time we started hearing more and more rumblings about coronavirus. And um, coronavirus was something, I mean, I remember seeing on Twitter months ago um, that somebody had um, an image which showed, I think it was like the chemical composition of the atmosphere over China. Yeah. And they're like, see these like three spots there's sulfur dioxide and they believed they were burning bodies. And that's when I was like, this huh. is real. Like, this is scary. And I didn't think like I, I thought, you know, at some point it was going to come here, but I didn't think it would be what we're experiencing now, which is essentially you're told not to go out. Um, and so a week and a half ago, um, my the company the um corporation that i was contracted to had said um that you have the option to stay home Hmm. and it was around that time that my kids got sent home too um did church that weekend because i had to play i had to play bass on the worship team and uh i was kind of like it was at that point already which i'm not sure what date that was but like Two Mondays ago, the weekend before that, right? Whatever that was, whatever right. date that was. Seems um, like many moons ago now, right? <laughs> it does, it does. And I remember, you know, like it was it was funny because I was talking to some like um, older people because I was at like some birthday, a couple birthday parties that weekend um, for a, an older person. And they were like, I, I think this is just hysteria. Like this isn't a real thing. And I was like, I think this is real. Like I saw what happened in China. I think this is real. And, um, and, uh, you know, I was like, I'm not surprised, you know, that I like their church was shut down. Like their church had canceled their services already. 
And I'm like, I'm surprised that I'm still playing bass on Sunday. Like already I was kind of like shocked that things were still moving forward despite what's going on. And um, so anyways, so I chose to work from home. Um, my kids ended up getting sent home. Um, and so they were homeschooling. <laughs> while <laughs> is I that even a thing in Canada? Is, is homeschool even a thing there like it is here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's lots of people that do it. Um, I mean, it's more of a rural thing. I think um, there are some people in the city that do, but it's it's pretty rare. Um, but I mean, for for the same reasons, a lot of times it's religious based, right? Because we're we're a more secular culture, and so our school system is probably more secular than yours is. Um, we've probably been ahead of the curve in sure. like more secular. I mean, it's always funny. I always think about, like, in the United States, you always have to pretend to be a Christian mm -hmm. to run for office. Right. Even um, Bernie Sanders is yeah. now having to pretend to be Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> in Canada, it's like everybody pretends they don't have a religion to get elected in office, right? Yeah. Like, it's like you, oh, should I should I go to church on Easter? I don't know. People might think I'm religious. <laughs> um, anyways. So, so yeah. So, so my kids were working. We're, we're at home. I was working from home. Um, my wife's a teacher. Um, she was told to come into work every day and we were just like, really? Like, why, hmm. why do you have to go into work every day? Um, because they were, they've had to shift now from teaching in the classroom to teaching online mm -hmm. and figuring out what that works looks like. And so the teachers have to be, have had to be very innovative in how they approach this because when you're teaching like grade four, I mean, like if you're teaching high school, it's probably not a big deal, but you're teaching like grade four, you're teaching grade three. I can't imagine teaching grade one that way. Like, right. how are you going to do that? On right. Uh, so the, they have to like rethink the way they teach right now. Right. So there's quite a quite a revolution going on there. Um, and then like for me, it's like I'm done all my field work. My field work was already done before that. And so when this went down, it didn't really affect this particular contract because I just had two more weeks to finish up reports. And so I can do that from home. So working from home was not a big deal. Um, but where it's hurting is me working for a consulting company. If the consulting company isn't getting any work coming in, what do I do? Right. Um, and so um, we're working out a plan. I'm going to be, we're going to be doing a meeting on Monday about what the plan path is forward, but it looks like I might be off for a bit. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Interesting. So are in Canada, you said about a thousand diagnosed cases. It's interesting. Have, have these shutdowns that you've experienced with school, with your work, have those largely been voluntary or has it been city by city, province by province, or is, is, uh, our boy, Justin Trudeau, uh, ordering everybody. How, how does that work in Canada compared to here? Because here it, in America, it's broken up by, you know, the federal government giving guidance and maybe putting some restrictions and calling some emergencies and stuff like that. But it's been mostly a uh, state by state thing in which the governors have, you know, made their individual proclamations and orders. Um, like in North here in North Carolina, where I live in Charlotte, um, the governor has issued a, uh, you know, no school until May 16th or something. But our individual city has issued a stay-at-home order until April 16th, I think it is. Um, so you have mm. different 
and, and there's being pressure now put on by the gov from the our city since Charlotte is the biggest city in North Carolina um, with about a million or two people uh, in it, putting pressure on the state government to go ahead and shut the entire state down. Um, how how mm. how does that work in comparison to Canada? I think it's kind of the like we're kind of seeing the same thing um, where. I mean, like, we got the Canadian government, like, kind of issuing directives and saying, like, you know, they they want us to, you know, keep with social distancing. And, you know, if you don't need to go out, don't. Um, and our, our prime minister has said that multiple times. Um, as, like, the province had put in some stipulations. And I think the weekend that we were... Like two weekends ago, they said any um, gatherings of 200 or more need to be shut down. Like it can't be more than 200 people at a gathering. Um, and then they dropped it to 50. I want to say like midweek last week. <laughs> um, and basically like by Sunday, it was like no churches were running. Like right. it was just like all everybody was online. Um, and I, I think... I'm pretty sure it was like, I think it was probably halfway through the week last week that they started homeschooling because it seemed like it took forever for them to shut the schools down. And they're like, no, 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 schools, schools are low risk. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, really? <laughs> they're Petri and dishes. I, I think it was because, I think it was because they were saying like children don't really have any ill effects from it, but it's like, yeah, there's adults in that school too, you know? Right. And so it was, it was interesting to see how that all went down. Um, but I mean, from the federal level, the big thing they've been doing is working out some funding for people that are going to lose their jobs. Because I, I know, I'm not sure if it was the American stat or the Canadian stat that said there's going to be a 20% unemployment rate. And I'm like thinking that seems, I know that's, I know that's a really high number for like normal life, but that 20% seems low for what we're facing. Because I, I feel like if you shut everything down, how many jobs are there really? You know, if we're only down to essential services. Now, officially in Canada, we're not only down to essential services, mm -hmm. but um, I, I think it's just a matter of time before we get there. Interesting. You know, where I live in Charlotte, it's uh, primarily two or three industries that make up Charlotte. Actually, four. I'm sorry. The biggest employer is the government. <laughs> um, right. And then there are the banks. Uh, Charlotte is the second largest banking hub in um, the entire United States, just uh, shy of New York. Uh, we have lots of banks headquartered here um, and tens of thousands of employees. Uh, for my bank alone that I work at, I think there's like 20,000 in Charlotte. Um, and that's not mentioning a couple of the other big and regional large and regional banks that exist in the area. But then we also have uh, a couple nuclear power plants here and a couple, uh, large energy company is stationed here that employs tens of thousands of people. And then we have a lot of hospital stuff. Um, and it's like, well, when you boil it down to it at the end of the day, you know, every one of those things is pretty much essential services. Like the financial industry is considered essential service. Energy is obviously essential service. Government's essential service. And um, uh, what's the other, uh, hospitals are essential services. So, you know, it seems like at least in 
our city, <laughs> they're, you know, they've issued that only essential services should operate. And it does definitely seem like a lot of people are staying home, at least working from home. Um, but uh, a lot of a lot of things that aren't in that those categories definitely have shut down. And you can see that uh, reflected in the um, the uh, people who are working, um, you know, or not working rather. Um, but it's interesting to see because I don't know. It's like the essential services is such a vague thing. Um, and so many companies end up being, you know, classified as essential services at, when it, you get down to it. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, I do, I have seen a lot of people start getting laid off. My father-in-law has been laid off. Um, and mm -hmm. some friends of mine have been laid off from their jobs. Um, lots of restaurants and bars and, you know, entertainment venues, uh, theaters are closing, all that sort of stuff. Um, and a lot of that by government decree, but you know, honestly, a lot of that was starting to happen before the government even decreed it. Cause they basically saw the handwriting on the wall and, uh, you know, rumor has it, some of the insurance companies and stuff, uh, that, you know, insure a lot of these places were throwing their muscle around saying, well, you know, we're going to insure, we can't insure you if you continue to operate, um, because you mm. pose a liability. Um, if one of your employees gets sick, they're going to sue you and we can't have that. <laughs> Uh, That's a really interesting thing about America yeah. is that people are so much more likely to um, take legal action. Right. Like that's just like it's it, it's something America is famous for. You it, know what I mean? Right, well, I know exactly what you mean. The other day I was watching uh, the People's Court and there was somebody suing somebody over a slightly faulty iPad repair resulting in a home button issue that cost them $80 to fix. And they were suing the person who was supposed to fix it for $80. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, wait a second. You went on TV court for $80? Like, you know, if I'm going to go on TV court, I better be missing an arm, you know? Um but, you know, it's it's interesting. So, like, have have you felt like in Canada a lot of this, do you feel like a lot of the corporations and pri private individuals were preempting the government? Or did they really wait to the government to start putting a, a gun to their head and saying you need to comply? Hmm. I, I feel like, this is just speculation, but I feel like everyone kind of saw that there was an issue and we all need to kind of band together and figure out how to solve it. Like, I think there's a general consensus um, among people that it's like, okay, if we don't need to be out, we shouldn't be out. Um, now, I mean, how this is going to work for business, I think there's a lot of people that are saying, okay, well, if this is how it's going to be, then we are going to need some kind of assistance from the government. And so the government's been very pressured to provide assistance um, because it was just granted that we are going to, like, I think we all knew the writing was on the wall, but I, I don't know of any situation where it was like, well, you guys, you guys are going to get sued if, all right. Don't do it, well, right? I, I know I know for a fact, like uh, my brother, his uh, church that he pastors, the larger denomination basically told them, hey, you know, if you continue to meet, um, you're not going to have the denomination's backing. You're not going to have the denomination, denomination's insurance because the insurance companies have told us that if you guys continue to meet 
we will revoke your insurance for your events. Um, and, uh, so you have to close, um, until the government says it's okay. Um, but of course now that doesn't matter because everywhere, everybody's government, everybody's state is saying you have to be closed. Um, but it's interesting. There are some churches still deciding to meet. Um, have, have you seen any defiance from, or sense of, uh, defiance from, uh, the churches in Canada, uh, where you're at with like, or organization level i'm not seeing it at all Um, on an individual level i know that we had some like kids in toronto that were kind of defying the orders that were placed Hmm. Um, i think there was i don't know if it was a comic con but it was something like that where they're like no i'm going right right Uh, oh no it was to buy a video game that's what it was (laughs) They wanted. They lined up to buy a video game because they're like, I, I really want this video game, and it's like, you guys are ridiculous. <laughs> um, and you know, like, there's people on my Facebook feed that are just kind of like, you know, trying to trying to push the envelope a bit with it. Right. And um, I mean, there's a bit of pushback, but like, I don't know. It's interesting to me be, that this becomes a question of liberty. And I kind of felt the same way, too, when um, when things went down after 9-11 and they were like, oh, they might tap our phones or whatever. And I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, I got nothing to hide. I don't care. Like, it's like if this makes our country safer, then sure. Right. right. Which is a scary thought, I'm sure. Right. But it's like, I don't know. Like, this is different, though, because it's not necessarily a government edict it's not necessarily that the government's you know like where where the government starts infringing on your um privacy it's like okay yeah this is the government doing this but when the government's like saying hey like for the good of everybody just stay home and it's like the government's making me stay at my house like come <laughs> on it's not like they're saying like the government's saying we are mandating that you all live in this place you know, right. they're not telling us where to live. They're saying, go home. Right. And I'm like, that's pretty easy to do. But it's like people don't like to be told what to do. Right. It's and, interesting to uh, see the difference in kind of DNA between America and Canada. Whereas, yeah. you know, DNA, DNA here in America, it's, you know, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. And that's kind of been a, a motto that we've had since our founding and, yeah. you know, it's something that's where Americans are deeply, even the most liberal, you know, collectivist sort of individuals in America, even Bernie Sanders is suspect of the government um, and sees it as possible infringement on our life, liberty and per, way of life and pursuit of happiness and all that sort of stuff. But it seems interesting in Canada, you guys have kind of just all kind of like you guys were already kind of on the same page collectively and you don't look at the government as like infringing on your right uh, to assemble or to worship uh, or to, you know, go do whatever you want. Whereas here it's like, you know, we have not many, but we have some pastors, you know, defying government mandates of, you know, there's one like, and I I knew it was going to be the Pentecostal church because I I just know us. Um, But, you know, there's some Pentecostal churches that are meeting um, and I'm like, well, you're just a bunch of snake handlers anyway, right? So, uh, you don't think a uh, little coronavirus is going to kill you, right? Um, but no, I mean, it's like there's this, this mentality that exists here, um, that I think makes it different than China or Italy or Spain or South Korea or Canada. 
Um, and it sounds like you guys are just much more collective already and don't see it we as such are. a big deal. Yeah, we're generally more collectivists. Um, I think like rural centers, they may be a bit more individualist, but it doesn't really matter because they're not like clumped together anyways. <laughs> Plus, I mean, like the rural people are like, oh, you want me to stay on my farm? Cool. Right. Right. So like there's not the same kind of like, but my constitution states like you never I virtually never hear a Canadian say, but my constitution states. Right. And that's something I hear a lot from Americans. Our founding fathers, you right. know, and it's like, okay, so what did your founding fathers do when there was a worldwide contagion <laughs> and the world was connected um, so well that it came over the world, you know, in months? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's, it's crazy because it's like, I, I don't really understand why the founding fathers like set this thing in motion and now it has to work no matter what. Right. You know? And it's like, and I'm like desperate times call for desperate measures. And some of the conversations they have, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Desperate times do call for desperate measures, but this isn't real. <laughs> you know? And it's like, Huh. Well, do, do you and feel like, like there's, I mean, you, you already say at the beginning of the show that there's only 1000 people in Canada who have, coronavirus and how many dead like just a ha small handful uh yeah it, it was like 127 or something uh, like yeah that. something ridiculous slow and it seems like you know i don't know if any of that has to do with the way you guys you guys are more uh, i guess rural i mean you guys have your cities but like canada's pretty remote isn't it for a lot of people that they, they kind of live spread apart we don't have a very dense population, right? Right, Like the city I live near is, you know, pretty big. It's like got a million people in it. Right. Um, but I, I don't think that's huge compared to like an American city. Right. Like, yeah, here in America, like I live in Charlotte. Charlotte has just a little over a million people in the greater area. And we're like 20th in the nation in size or something. Right. Right. Um, I'm not, I don't know how big Toronto is, but I think it's about like the size of a big American city. Right. Vancouver's probably the size of a big American city. Um, Montreal, like those are the major cities. Right. But like Calgary, it's like, yeah, it's still pretty big, but not huge. It's probably more like Charlotte size then. Yeah. Um, Edmonton, I think, is smaller. Winnipeg would be even smaller, right? right. Um, and then Saskatoon and Regina would probably be tiny compared to. Um, now, and then the rest are like kind of small towns. Like there's not like, those are the cities. Like those are the major cities. And so I, I think our population is um, the opposite of dense. And so, um, but I mean, I think what's really interesting about this too, is that we came out of, you know, with Alberta, Alberta is like the middle child of Canada, right? Like if we were all siblings, and so, like, Alberta's like, well, what about us? What about us? Hmm. I mean, we're suffering here. The, the price of oil has gone down significantly. And then, like, um, they're like, you know, we never got these pipelines built. The rest of the provinces don't want these pipelines built. They're like, your oil is dirty. And it's like, our oil is not dirty. We, we produce it the most ethically in the world. You know, we have all these environmental standards. We have all these worker standards and all this stuff, right? And um, so when the prime minister 
who over the last four years did not build the pipelines that everybody in Alberta wanted, he um, ran for office again. Um, and I've talked about this before, I think, on one of our shows. And I'm like, he had like what it came out that he did blackface like three times. Yeah. Um, there was the SNC Lavalin scandal where he basically said, "Hey, yeah, I know SNC Lavalin has done some shady stuff, but um, Attorney General, can you just like hold off on prosecuting them because it's going to be bad for jobs?" <laughs> and the Attorney General's like, "I can't hold off on that." And basically, he ended up he ended up kicking her out. Like he basically, or somehow she was forced to resign. And so it looked super shady. Our um, ethics commissioner looked into it and said, yeah, what he did was shady, not illegal, but shady. Um, So all that went down before the election. And what happened is it resulted in him winning again Hmm. because the East, you know, Quebec, Quebec and Ontario still voted him in, even though the West was like, no. Um, but he ended up with a minority, which kind of puts us in an interesting position. Um, Alberta was so angry that they started a Wexit group. The Wexit group is like this idea that the Western Canada wants to separate from the rest of Canada. And they started a Facebook group. And this Facebook group like gathered steam. And all these people were taking it so seriously. And I'm like, you guys are dumb. Like, it's, I'm like, this isn't going to happen. Like, look at Quebec. Quebec has been talking about separating for so many years. I don't know if you know the history of that. No. But like, Quebec has wanted to leave Canada, like, forever. And they've had, they've had referendums. And those referendums, I think it was like, you need 50 plus 1% in order to actually put it forward. And <laughs> it never. And so, like, the idea that the West wants to do it, it's like, they've had, like, I think two referendums in Quebec. They had one in the 90s. And it didn't go through, right? Right. And so I'm like, you know, I get this like as a bargaining chip because I think at best what we could do, and I know like in in United States, you guys want your states to be very independent. That's kind of that's what the founding fathers wanted, right? So it work, right? But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in uh, in Canada, it's like our provinces have like. Um, they take care of their own education system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think healthcare too is their their baby, right? Mm-hmm. But there's like a lot of things that are federal, like we pay a federal tax. Um, Quebec, because they've been like just like the, you know, most they're they're a peculiar, I don't know, peculiar. They're a distinct society mm-hmm. because they speak French and they want to protect that, you know, French. And there's a whole history there sure. between the French and the British. And it was nasty. And, you know, they made an agreement. Okay, we get Quebec, but we want Quebec to be bilingual. And we want the French signs to be bigger than the English signs and all this stuff. And it's like, listen, you got to give us all this or we're going to leave, right? And it's always been kind of this thing, right? So so now Alberta is like, okay, well, let's be like Quebec, right? Right. And um, so there was like kind of this heightening tension and they called it like a unity crisis is what Albertans were calling it. People in Ontario and Quebec were like, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. There's nothing going on. And it's because we have so little pull because we have less population than Ontario and Quebec. Right? Mm. So all that to say, this goes down and we got this prime minister that 
Albertans are not a fan of, generally, right? And um, now I don't hear a whole lot of talk about separation. We're just kind of like, all right, well, I guess we'll stay in our houses. <laughs> but what was really interesting is yesterday um, they put forward a bill. Now, remember, it's a minority situation. So because it's a minority situation, this government's very fragile. Um, they need the other major parties to prop them up or they can have a voter non-confidence and this government's down. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So. So they put forward a bill that would like fund a bunch of stuff. And it's like giving I think I think you quoted it today. You said two thousand uh, dollars. Well, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say here in America, I think they're talking about twelve hundred per adult and then like five hundred a kid or something. Yeah. But anyways, there's a there's funding that's supposed to go through and it's supposed to take care of make sure that people are able to pay their rent. It's going to give some relief to small businesses. I think the small businesses, though, it's like it'll pay 10 percent of the wage of every person they keep and not lay off, which I'm like, I don't know how much that helps. But it was an effort anyways. And so they put together this bill. The Liberal Party, who's in power, put this forward and they slipped in this thing that um, they will have um, full leeway as far as taxes go um, until December of 2020. Hmm. And so Michelle Rempel, who's a very vocal conservative, has said, this is a bit of a power grab. Um, here's the thing. All it takes is for one of us to vote no, and this bill will not happen, which means all this funding will be delayed as a result of the liberals putting this thing in here. So what we want you guys to do is make the liberals aware that this is not going to pass tomorrow as is. And so they should remove that thing about them having all this power to tax as they want for the rest of the year. And so basically what ended up happening, I was like, so like what could have happened is like this morning when they were about to pass it, it could have failed and it could have resulted in a non-confidence vote and we would have been in an election, which yeah. is like, that is, this is a terrible time for an election. Like right <laughs> now, like how would that even work? Wow. Right? And so the liberals. They like that escalated quickly. Before it got voted on. Yeah. And it, 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 they removed it before it got voted on and it's going through. And so I was looking at this and I'm like, this is cool. Like our system is working. And I, I posted about that on Facebook. I was just like, God bless our government. That's really <laughs> cool that that worked. And, you know, people are like, well, it was a power grab by the liberals. I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how that works. Right. I'm assuming they have a logical explanation for it. Like, every government does have a logical explanation for why they did what they did, right? But, I mean, like, anybody who's against them is like, oh, it's nefarious. It must be nefarious. And I'm like, that's <laughs> a very good explanation. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I cannot just say it's nefarious. There's something there. I don't know. But whatever it is, it got defeated by our system. Our system worked. Let's move on. Right. But they want to be bugged. Yo, no, what they did was wrong. And it's like, okay, but like, do we really need to do this? And I mean, it's the same thing too I'm seeing in the States and it's driving me crazy. <laughs> it's people that are like, oh, look, that guy behind Trump, Trump is snickering. Right. How about we tweet about that for a while? Hey, everybody retweet this. Right. And I'm like, no. 
guys are dumb. Like, can we just like try to unite behind your leader? Now, when your leader says something ridiculous, you go back with like, excuse me, sir. Like, this does not sound right. And they're like, well, he doesn't respect us. And it's like, okay, so you're going to disrespect him back and that we're going to get nowhere. And so I, I don't know. It's, it's just so weird to me that we're still, and I'm seeing this, you know, really in people close to me, but I'm also seeing this like on Twitter in America, American Twitter, you know, that it's like people are more interested in defending their ideology than actually working together, you know, to beat this thing. We have a common enemy. Like, right. Can we all just decide that we're going to cooperate and we're going to like, okay, well, I'm going to stay at home. And the funny thing is, is so many of these people that are causing, um, I don't know, dis, dis, disagreement anyways. These people that are causing trouble are staying at home. They're obeying all the rules, <laughs> but they want to fight online. And I'm like, do you think maybe the result of you fighting online will help other people be more bold and not follow the rules? Right. Well, that's and my that's, concern here is that, you know, I, I don't know if you can say the same in Canada. Um, I, I mean, you guys are probably used to staying indoors a lot more than we are largely here because you guys have much more intense winters than we do. Um, yeah. Like how many months of the year are you probably inside because of snow? <laughs> like seven months? Oh, probably like four months a year. Oh, okay. Like but and then, then, yeah. Well, like I, I might miss a day of work here in Charlotte <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because of snow in a given year. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's curious because, you know, they uh, Trump has come out and tried to say, well, maybe, you know, we can start getting back to some sort of semblance of normalcy uh, by Easter, you know, and yeah. uh, that sort of thing and trying to set a date on it. And like I, you know, I get his idea behind it i think we need to have some sort of exit strategy at some point and but i don't know that now is the time to start setting timetables however i think in our my gut my gut tells me that you know as americans we're only going to tolerate about four to six weeks of being quarantined in our house before you start having very you know voices of dissent coming out and saying your government's lying to you um, yeah. and we need to rebel against the government. This has been a power grab. They're infringing on our civil liberties and look, they've wrecked our economy as a result. Um, and yeah. you know, so you'll have, I, I, I personally think four to six weeks, especially like if we miss Easter down here in the South, uh, which looks like it's going to happen. Um, you know, we're going to have a lot of very upset and understandably so, uh, you know, we have a very different way, different li- lifestyle, I guess you could say here in the States. Um, where we come and go as we please, um, probably much more, uh, than anywhere else in the world. And, you know, and we're very individualistic driven and, you know, we have that give me liberty or give me death etched onto our hearts and our DNA. Um, even if you are, you know, a bleeding commie like Bernie. Um, (laughs) so we, we have this natural suspicion, but I, I don't know. Do you think you guys could... Uh, do you get, do you think after four to six weeks of being quarantined in Canada, do you think you guys will start getting an itch to say, you know, the government's oppressing us? Or do you guys think it'll just be like, okay, well, we need to keep doing some more? I'm, I'm wondering how what happens in the States will affect us. 
because I, I think what will happen is Trudeau will stick to his guns no matter what Trump says. And I get this feeling that Trump is like, oh, crap, the Liberty people are on my side. So maybe I'll tell them we're going to shoot for Easter. You know, and I, I think that this to me, you know, as much as people like to think Trump doesn't care what people think, <laughs> he does care what the gun toting, you know, white evangelical thinks. Right. He's trying to cater to that. That's his brand right now. Sure. And so he's like, yeah, I shoot from the hip. You know, hey, why not? Why not? Why not Easter? You know, and um, so I like I'm not. I'm not very optimistic about his approach. Um, I think it's irresponsible what he's doing. But I mean, like, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I think that Canadians, I think Canadians, for the most part, will stick to the plan. We're going to have probably a few dissenters, but it's like the same percentage of Canadians that support Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Are there some folks wearing MAGA hats? I don't understand that. Like, I'm like, do you really need to vocalize your love for Trump? Like, you're not even in that country. Like, you wish he was your president? Like, I I don't understand what's going on there. But, I mean, like, we have nothing like that in Canada. Right. Like, a guy like Trump would never get elected. There's no way. Interesting. Because it's not in our culture. Like, it's like... I think the closest thing we've ever had to Trump is Don Cherry. <laughs> well, speaking and of Don so Cherry, he stayed on TV as long as he did. Speaking of Don Cherry, do you think uh, you know a lot of Canadians are upset with the canceling of the NHL season? I don't know if they've officially canceled it yet, but it looks like they're going to have to. And will this rob Austin Matthews of his opportunity to you know or or to win a cup? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I you know I have a hard time believing in Toronto. So <laughs> Vancouver was pretty decent, you know, up until there. I, I've heard Edmonton's good too. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been following the NHL as closely as I used to. All right. Oh and man. My team's finally getting good. I'm a Canucks fan, so uh, it's like yeah. Yeah, the the black um, the Blackhawks have been in the tanker like, you know, they win two or three games in a row and all of a sudden but everybody's like, Well man, if they only win six more then they can maybe get the eighth seed wild card. You know, and I'm like, Oh man, nice to know we're shooting for that. Like <laughs> I think that's when I knew this was real. I was like, they canceled the NBA. And then a couple of days later, they canceled the NHL. I'm like, Oh my we're this is not this is different. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know, like I I get a sense that the majority of Canadians are taking this seriously. Um and then there's a contingent of them that are like this is dumb, but I'm going to do what I'm told. Hmm. Um and I there probably are on the fringes some people that think this is an infringement on their freedom. But I don't think that there's as much of a movement as there is in America. And it's funny because I've gotten in trouble for saying this because it's like, oh, you hate Americans. I'm like, no, I love Americans, but this is in their culture. And it's like and, you know, liberty is so important. And I understand that. But there's a point where personal liberty is not beneficial for everyone. There's a point where we all have to die to self for the good of the community. 
And that's something that's not written in your constitution. <laughs> right. So, it's like, what are you going to do? Like, it's like, uh, Europeans can do it. Canadians can do it. But it's like, well, this is what makes us unique as Americans. And I, I was kind of shocked. Like, it was funny. I was watching, um, I was watching everything go down where they were like talking about those uh, testing stations in the United States, um, where they were like getting Walmart and bunch of other companies to agree to open up their parking lots for like drive-through testing stations and all stuff and i'm like well that's kind of cool like it seems like a capitalistic kind of solution to this problem they're gonna have like these drive-through testing stations that's cool right but what really i thought was interesting and very american about it was that they're like we're gonna we're gonna beat this you know like we we are americans we are great and we're gonna beat this and right. i was like Oh, easy now. Like, <laughs> a little more humility on this, right? Because, like, I don't know. There's just something about that, like, and it's it, it's it's a very much an American thing, you know. This kind of American supremacy thing, right? And I always kind of like, I always like, and I don't know if it's a Canadian thing so much, but I I really, you know, am stuck on this notion that, you know, God helps the humble but it's like as a as a collective as america humility isn't a thing like it's like no no no. we got to be prideful we got to right. we got to be you know and it's like and it's it's something i really don't understand how that works because i still believe pride is a sin and like i don't know it's funny like i did the other thing i've been thinking about too is like you know when you talk about pride in your country um, there was like this, uh, Jordan Peterson was doing one of his, um, things and there was a guy that asked this question. He's like, Hey, so seeing as how like white European systems have been so successful in the world, don't you think we could say that we're proud to be white European, you know, people. And Peterson looked at him and he's like, for you to be proud of something you were born with makes absolutely no sense like right. what did you do to achieve this what did you do to achieve your white skin and so i think about that a lot of times when mm. people are like i'm proud to be an american or i'm proud to be a canadian i hear that all the time too and i'm just like i don't know if i'm proud to be a canadian like i'm thankful that i'm a canadian i'm glad i live here like it's a great place to live and i love my people but like to say i'm proud to be a canadian i'm like what did I do to be a Canadian? I stayed here, like, <laughs> you know. But it's, it's it's so crazy how like that's part of the brand of America. I mean, it's we like, even have no, a no, no. we're the best land in the world. You're taught from a very young age it's the best land in the world, right? And make sure you tell everybody about it, right? Like, right. It's like, well, I mean, we even have the song so "I'm proud to be an American," where at least I know I'm free. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I mean, like that's where you know you're free. Well, the government's saying stay in your house for the good of everybody. Right. That's free. You right. should get out of your house. Right. right? Well, like that. And, and in and about so like, four to six weeks, we're going to throw off the shackles that bind us and we're going to have another revolution if we're not careful. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, I think actually deep down inside, that's probably what Trump is most concerned about. I don't think it's so much the economic aspect of it, although he is concerned about that. But he knows... He, I think he understands deep down inside the, the, the pulse of the American spirit. And he knows 
people aren't going to tolerate. I mean, they may tolerate it in Washington and California because, you know, they, they, they're they extremely far left and they might as well be part of Canada as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, they may be to- willing to tolerate it, but I don't know. I mean, there's something about them, I think, that even that they're going to be like, nope, we can't do this too much longer. And at some point, I feel like we're going to sh- try to strike a balance between the two of, well, are we going to accept just the coronavirus as a new normal and a risk that's inherent to everyday life as risky as getting in a car and driving to work every day? And we're just going to accept that as, well, I may d- d- die on the way to work, or and that's just part of being an American. Um, or are we just going to say, nope, we got to hunker down some more until we defeat this virus? Um, and at some point, we're going to gonna have to tip the scale there because uh, I don't think... Americans will tolerate very long um, being caged up in their homes. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh. Did you hear I what I said? shutting off my headphones and I think it paused it somehow. Did you hear what I said? You were ranting. Oh. Um, <laughs> I ranted a lot though. Um, okay, so you were saying he knows that the American people won't stand for this. Right. I think that's kind of where you were going with it. Yes. And then it paused. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Trump isn't going to, or Trump knows in his heart of hearts that, you know, Americans are not probably going to tolerate being caged up for more than four to six weeks. And after four to six weeks, mm-hmm. he may have a different problem on his hand that's bigger than a virus, and he may have civil disorder. Um, and yeah. I, I personally think that's about as long as most Americans are going to tolerate it. And at some point, they're going to sit there and say, we're going to have to balance the risk of this virus because it's not going anywhere t- anytime soon. And we're going to have to treat it basically fundamentally no different than getting in our cars and driving to work every day, knowing that we may die. Um, and at some, but just as now that we don't, you know, even though we know there's a high chance that we may die on our way to work today. Um, and there's a lot of fatal accidents every day. And, you know, heck I've been in a couple car accidents in my lifetime um, none of them fatal, but I've been in a couple of car accidents. Um, but we, we know there's a high risk of that going to work every day in our car, but we do it anyway. And so we're just going to get to the point where we're going to have to say, well, we don't want to live in a cage anymore. And we're going to accept the fact that, you know, the virus is out there and it could do us harm. So we're going to put on our virus seat belt, whatever that may look like. And, but we're going to go to work at the end of the day anyway. And, uh, you know, whatever the consequences are, you know, I think at the end of the day, we'll get to the point where we just accept that as a new normal until they develop um, a vaccine or until we develop herd immunity or whatever the next step looks like. Um, but I don't foresee Americans being able to tolerate being caged up for too long, even if people start dying in mass. I hesitate to call anything similar to driving. Like people do the same thing with guns, too. They're right. just like. Yo, guns guns kill people, but so do cars. And it's like, yeah, but cars aren't designed to kill people. Right. Like, you know? And so I, I think, you know, like when we talk about like a virus that you don't know, you may transfer to someone. And like if the curve is too high, we basically aren't treating people and letting them die. Like right. that's that's the fear. That's our biggest thing. And even though like 3% of the population are the ones that are going to die – there's a threshold at which 3% of the population is too much for our hospitals to handle at once. Right. And so wherever that curve peaks, 
you know, the right thing to do, I think, is to like wait until it peaks. And when it starts receding, say, oh, OK, right. now we predict that in two weeks we can, you know, and and so I, I mean, part of me wonders if what Trump is doing is a stalling tactic hmm. where he's like, I like it to be Easter. And then Easter rolls around and he's like, oh, crap, no, no, Easter's not going to work. Right. Um, my doctors are telling me this is not going to work. I'm right. so sorry, guys. It's not going to work. But it's like at least people aren't thinking, oh, well, he's trying to control things. Right. He said he wanted Easter. And, and, and that he could... hasn't like said that as like a solid thing either. So right. there may be strategy on that. I'm nah, not nah. like often a guy that thinks that Trump <laughs> is strategic. I think a lot of times he is a loose cannon. Right. But I think he's both end. I think he's strategic and he's a loose cannon. Oh, yeah. I, well, you know, I think there could be some strategy there because if Easter comes yeah. around and things haven't curved down yet, then he can say, you know, he can use the doctors as a scapegoat and say, well, you know, yep. it's not me that's saying this. This isn't just me. I'm not just some sort of control nut here. You know, I'm my my hands are tied, you know, and yeah. Um, so. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think for me personally, as an American, the biggest thing is, you know, at some point we will have we will accept this virus at some point as just a new part of life, um, just yeah. as we did for yeah. many viruses prior to that. You know, we have to, I think we have to step back and remember it wasn't until the last 50 years that we've had the marvel of medical science to where diseases weren't smiting people on a regular basis, like, you know, measles and polio and all that sort of stuff, you know, yeah. like our parents' generation grew up on the end of that. And, yeah. you know, it was just part of life at some point. Um, and they just accepted it and they knew it was a terrible part of life, but they accepted it. However, they didn't have a system of hospitals that was overwhelmed as a result of those things. And I think that's the biggest concern for me here is that if this virus doesn't get under control, then we face the real risk of utterly destroying our healthcare system here in America and overwhelming hospitals so that we can't even care for the secondary uh, issues or people having heart attacks or needing surgery yeah. and, and just, you know, all the other minor bumps and bruises that we get along just normal. I mean, cause I know like when I was in the hospital, right. I know when I was in the hospital, uh, a couple months ago, um, I had to basically stay in a closet <laughs> that they modified into a, uh, a hospital room because the hospital was already full and it was yeah, just yeah. a, it was a Sunday night, you know, uh, yeah. it wasn't anything particularly exciting going on. They just, they, they normally stay at pretty peak capacity as it is. So to have an influx of maybe thousands and tens of thousands of people all of a sudden needing critical care in any geographic area, well, that presents a real problem to any hospital system. And if that collapses, how are we going to care for everybody else? Yeah, and that that is something no one's talking about. Right. Is like everybody who is going to lose medical services as a result of this influx of COVID patients. So I mean, like they got people that are waiting for surgeries, you know, that are not gonna get them. Like there's a whole bunch of things that this affects. Right. And so it's like if we're able to and this is the way I understand it, I'm not an expert on this, but and maybe maybe next week I'll have more time to study up on it. <laughs> but um, and I can make it part of my work. I'll just be like, well, I'm looking for work, and you know, COVID is a good opportunity for hygienists to find ways to help out. Right. But um, 
So I actually legit want to see if there's a way that we in industrial hygiene can help and maybe actually have work too. Um, but um, the way I understand it, it's like w that high curve is going to cause a lot of problems. And so if people really value their liberty to the point where they're going to pressure the government into making this happen, um, you may reap the consequences and we might find out liberty can be a problem. Hmm. But like I said, I hope I'm wrong. I don't want to be right. <laughs> like there's nothing in me that wants to be right about this. Right. So, well, maybe uh, I mean, things like, start going south here. It sounds like things are maybe a little better in Canada up there from a numeric standpoint right now. Maybe uh, we can cross the border and get some health care up there from there in Canada. You guys, you guys want to let a neighbor borrow a cup of sugar for a little while? <laughs> Borders closed, Jimmy. I'm sorry. Uh, oh man! Like now, now I feel especially, like <laughs> especially if you guys are all like, "Woohoo, Easter Sunday!" <laughs> right. You know, something that's been really interesting too. I've seen two things out of the church. First of all, you got pastors who are like saying, "We are an essential service." Right. Like, why do you have arcades open? But you don't have us open because we're an essential service, which I'm like, I don't know why arcades are open. I really don't. Right. But but like saying that church is not an essential service kind of seems like a little bit of an ego thing, you know, like where right. it's like, well, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm saving people's souls. Right. <laughs> you know. And so I, I found that kind of interesting. Um, the other thing is this whole it's almost like a faith dare. It's like, no, no, no. The Bible says do not forsake. The meeting of the of uh, the meeting of the brethren and sistren, um, <laughs> and you know, and so, so it's like, well, if we're doing what God's telling us to, He will protect us. And I, I really like that scripture. Um, what is it again? Now it's like not a spirit of fear. But a piece but a of law, the sound mind, yeah, yeah. And I had to go to the King James to find that because the other one said self discipline, and I'm like, no, right. that's not saying what I wanted to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like a sound mind. Right. So it's like when we talk about a spirit of fear, a spirit of fear tells us, you know, like, oh, I'm scared of the virus, right? And people are saying, don't be scared of the virus, and it's like, I'm not scared of the virus. What I'm scared of is unknowingly passing it to someone who dies right like i don't want to i i don't want blood on my hands right i i want less people to die um i'm i'm worried that there's people already i'm seeing on twitter that are like i lost a loved one to you know corona and i'm right. like this is sad and i know people are like oh the flu kills people at two and it's like yeah Okay, sure. But like, this is something different. And so if we could not pass it on, it'd be awesome. Right. And I mean, like, already, we're how far deep into this? Right. We've already screwed up our economy quite a bit. Right. So we either do this full or we back out and we risk we reap the consequences right. of backing out, well, right? Well, so and that's... we don't know what those consequences are. That's the thing is right. nobody really knows how bad this is. And people say, look to Italy. It's like, we're not Italy. Right. And so it's silly to compare it to Italy. And if anyone wants to use Italy as a comparison, it's like, yeah. That said, it's interesting to see how Italy is like, yeah, we didn't think this was serious either.
And then it became serious, right? Right. Well, I think that's like the concern in New York. What was that? I think that's the concern in New York, like because New York City is kind of like Italy as far as like everybody's living on top of each other. And, you know, you're constantly touching people throughout the day. Uh, now, Italy yeah. may do it because they're a little more friendly of a culture and they love to hug and kiss each other and hold hands and spend an inordinate amount of time with each other. Whereas in New York, you're just pa- pa- uh, you're par- packed in like sardines. I mean, I know when I went to New York once, it was like you can't help but constantly bump into people. Um, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, so I could see maybe why New York might would use Italy as as an example. But um, cause I, I guess, don't know if they have the same demographics, though. Like there was quite a quite a large elderly population. Right. And I mean, I mean, a lot of this talk too, you know, where we have people that are saying, yeah, like, I think old people should be sacrificing their lives <laughs> for younger people. Right. Right. And it's old people saying it. And it's like, so you speak for everyone in your generation? Right. And you're ignoring the fact that there's disabled people too. Like there's young people who are immunocompromised that you're speaking for too. Right. And saying, and I, I don't know, like even that clip that I saw, I was like, he wasn't really saying what everybody was saying he was saying. Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, like a lot of it is outrage. But what I found really interesting is like people are always saying that like the media – causes outrage and the media causes outrage because they always lie and i'm like you guys are outraging about the media's outrage <laughs> like you're overstating that too right and so it's like the media will overstate things a little bit they will sometimes not report things right they will come back though and say yeah we screwed this up like that's the difference between the real news and the fake news in my opinion is the fake news will stick to their guns and say, no, 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 we didn't screw that up, <laughs> right? <laughs> but they'll actually admit that they screwed it up, right? Right. Um, and so, I mean, like, there there are things they're going to misreport. It's, it's a given. And there is a way that, you know, clickbait is winning the day. And that's what's making our news worse, is that clickbait is winning the day. But the problem is, now that, you know, you've said, oh, well, there's left-wing clickbait, so we're going to create right-wing clickbait. Right. But all that's doing is exasperating the situation, and we're just becoming more and more extreme on both sides and sensationalizing, and I'm just like, I've had enough of it. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy to me that COVID-19 didn't stop that. At first, it seemed like it was going to, but now the lines are starting to be drawn again. And, I mean, it doesn't help that Nancy Pelosi was like, all right, well, let's just add a little abortion, a little bit of abortion in this bill here. Right. It's like, what's the point of that? So that the Republicans can say no. And then it's like, you don't care about people. Right. right. I mean, it's the same thing, too. Like, why did Justin Trudeau add this? Like, and I will have supreme power. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what the notion was. He hoping that the opposition would like vote it down. And then he'd be like, you guys don't care about Canada's health. Like, right. is that was that the point? Like, I don't know. But I'm like. I just, I, I'm just so sick of people behaving poorly. Right. And it's like, can we just like, I don't know, do the right thing. Like, let's do the right thing. Can we all agree to do the right thing? Can we all agree to not make COVID-19 worse than it already is? 
I hope so. That, that would be, that's all I want to say. That's really all I want to say in all of this. Because I, I think ultimately, you know, especially here in America with it being a presidential election year and stuff like that, that, mm-hmm. you know, the power dynamics are going to be fully alive. Like even now, like they've been trying to pass a bill uh, in the Senate for a uh, relief program and it's been held up each day. It was supposed to pass last Friday. Now it's Wednesday. And they kept saying from this, like... Monday, they were saying, oh, we're going to have it Tuesday. And Tuesday, they're like, we're going to have it Wednesday. And then Wednesday, Bernie Sanders is like, not so fast. And now Bernie Sanders is holding out for something. And I'm like, and, you know, he's doing it for the people, of course. Not, not, nothing to do whatsoever with the election, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, and, you know, he, maybe he is really doing it for people. I don't know. I don't know what his deal is there. But uh, either way, the power dynamic is still at play. And all of a sudden, people are like, well, of course, Bernie Sanders would say that because he's, you know, failing as a presidential candidate and he's just trying to do this as a, a last jab in uh, the ribs of Joe Biden in order to get what he wants in order to win the election. <laughs> like, I, I think Bernie Sanders realizes no matter what he's going to do at this point, he's not going to win the presidency. Um, <laughs> not unless Joe Biden gets COVID-19 and, you know, is no more. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's crazy. It's crazy to me that people this age are still running. It's just, uh, I can't see it as anything but a vanity project at this point. Right. And I, like, I just, something that is driving me so crazy right now is insecure people trying to flex their muscles. Right. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and I don't think I'm that person. So maybe, maybe I need to check my own <laughs> ego. <laughs> Because I'm like, I got nothing to prove to anyone. Right. I just want to be a voice of reason. I just want people to be better. And I want to encourage people to be better. Right. And so, I mean, like, I, what, what was it? Oh, there was like that, that thing. And I think I mentioned this on ADD Masterminds where like somebody had said like, oh, of course you think America is going to have a harder time with this because, because you hate Americans because you're a liberal and, and you're insecure and you want to say you're better than them. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. You can believe that. Okay. <laughs> I, I but it's like, I don't know. It's just so funny because it's just, I, it's like, can we just take our egos out of this and just have a conversation? Right. But it feels to me like most people are so self-conscious and like are so busy trying to project an image of sure. who they are. And it's like, well, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that's all about liberty or I'm the guy that's all about taking care of people and Trump is a racist. You know, like there's right. those are the two people that I encounter like every day. So anyway, so when we come up to liberate you, tell me how the people can uh, reach you so that if they want to reach out to uh, you and find you online, uh, you know, how can the people do that? Um, well, you can, uh, you can follow me at Bridge Live Watts on Twitter. Um, I'm not sure, like, can you, you can PM people on Facebook, can't you? Yeah, you can, you know, but it's kind of annoying. Yeah, I, PM me on Facebook. I'm cool with that, too. All right, cool. Yeah, I, if you don't I, seem like a crazy person, I might friend you. I only I am family on Facebook. Like, I occasionally get IMs from People I sort of know, and I'm just like, ignore. <laughs> yeah. Like, I hate no, it. No, no, I'll reply to anybody. Oh. But, um, friend, I, I probably won't friend them until I vet them. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm much more sensitive about friend requests these days, especially since occasionally I've been like, oh, he knows a bunch of people I know, then I accept his friend request, and then I find out he's just trying to sell me whatever he's got to sell. So, <laughs> Ooh. yeah. Yeah, nobody's tried to sell me anything on Facebook. I have gotten some, like, really good-looking women, though, that have tried to send me on Facebook, and I'm like, yeah. I, I used to get a lot of those requests, too, but I, I think I denied enough of them. The hackers just stopped trying, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to show them to my wife and I'm like, "Ooh, look at this." All right. Should I should I should I should I accept her friend request, honey? She's she seems like she's smart. She she looks like she should be on Fox News, you know. <laughs> All right, John. Well, thanks for coming on the show tonight. I appreciate it giving us your perspective as a Canadian and uh what how it relates to America and uh you know the the different dynamics that are at play in our nation and your nation. And maybe, you know, something a little that we can uh, learn about our collectivist uh, northern brethren. Yeah. And you know what? I love America. You I'll, guys are interesting. My parents and, have a MAGA hat. I'll send you one. Yeah. Like, I, I have no desire to live there, but it's nice to visit. Absolutely. It's a great place. <laughs> it's, a, it's a place where yeah. freedom reigns, John. Freedom reigns. <laughs> well, we'll see how that works for you. Air smudge.